0: Hey, that wasn't bad. You guys are getting your uh, your mojo back. I appreciate that. It's been so long since we've been able to meet together, but uh, it comes back to you, and uh, it is really good uh, to be here in the flesh. Um, if you're still worshiping online, good. Stay safe and, and until you are safe. Uh, keep doing that. We're glad that you're with us, but it's it's nice when uh, I've had my second vaccine and I feel much safer and it's, it's nice to be able to join together with the brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians, the second chapter. It is Colossians, second chapter. That's fine. Second chapter of Colossians. Um, and this is where we're going to take our, our, our sermon for today. We got people in here who've just been just been going to Sunday school for a few years. We got people in here who've been going to Sunday school for sixty seven. Anybody been going for eighty years? I've been going for sixty years. I can remember sixty years of Sunday school. Somebody's got me beat, I'm sure. Somebody can at least remember 70 years in here, but I don't know who to look at, and I don't want to single anybody out. Um, However long you've been going to Sunday school, however long you've been studying the Bible, however long you've been learning about Christianity, you think you've got it 50% understood, 70% understood, 90% 90% under What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, <laughs> the weird thing about God and the truths of God is that they can invite us in when we are four years old. And yet when we are 64 years old like I am, you still realize that what you need to know is much bigger than what you have already come to know. God and the truths of God are deep, deep, deep. And Paul wants us to think about that a little bit. And then he wants to make a specific application to Christians. Back in chapter 1, this isn't on your study sheets if you're following along on the study sheets. Back in chapter 1, that passage we have been reading most Sundays to help us get our heads in the right place for Colossians. Paul says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible. Whether it's thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That passage, then, Paul then uses over and over again themes in that passage to help the Colossian Christians understand specifically who they are. Scholars do not think the Colossian church was a very big church. Uh, The things that Paul says here and the other factors that we would use to calculate that, we would imagine this church is a small, tiny minority group in the larger town of Colossae. And it would be easy for them to be intimidated by their surrounding culture. And Paul, over and over again, hits this idea of who Jesus is and what that means for you if you've become a Christian. And he really does that in chapter 2, starting in verse 8. See to it, I talked about this last week, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You can just hear the echoes of Colossians 1, 15 through 20 as Paul brings those thoughts forward. He says, When you have connected yourself to Jesus Christ, you have connected yourself to the one that God has been pleased to to place within God's fullness. And the word that Paul uses is a word that's not super uncommon. It's used a lot of different ways. Um... One of the first ways it gets used in the Greek Old Testament is to talk about the depths of the sea and the, and the sound that the ocean makes, that deep crashing sound when the ocean will come crashing ashore. The deep, the depths, how far down does God go? How much is there, once we know as much as our brains feel like they can hold, how much more is there to God? This idea of the fullness of God, that what there is of God, this incredible richness that we know extends far beyond our ability to understand or even to imagine. God is deeper, bigger, grander than what our tiny brains can hold. And nevertheless, Paul says it in chapter 1 and says it again here, that depth of God, that deep things of God, all of that depth has been made to reside in Jesus Christ. You get what he's claiming? You Colossian Christians have put your trust in Jesus Christ who is the depth and fullness of God. In the first century, there actually were a number of religions that promised, often for a price or for, you know, social, uh, on on the basis of who you knew and, and, you know, being of a certain social class, there were a number of religions that you could be initiated into The Eleusian Mysteries, just outside of Athens, were some of the oldest ones of those. Uh, The Delphic Mysteries, some old, old mysteries. And more recently, around the time of the first century, an old Persian cult begins to become popular in the Roman Empire. It's called the Worship of Mithra. And he was kind of a sun god, and there were stories about him from Persia. But, But the form that it took in Rome was really interesting, there were seven layers of initiation into the mysteries of Mithra. Archaeologists have kind of uncovered. It's like a merit badge system almost. You could start out as the raven. And then if you met their qualifications, you might be promoted to the bride. And if you, if you met those qualifications, you might get a promotion up to the soldier. And then to the torchbearer, and then to the Persian. And then finally, finally, the seventh stage was to be promoted to the level of father. And because that, I, it sounds like, based on the little bit that survives, it sounds like the fathers of these little gatherings of followers of Mithra operated a lot like the elders do in our congregations and the elders did in the Jewish synagogues. You can imagine people, people that maybe rub shoulders with these Colossian Christians saying, you know, I've made it to the fifth level of Mithraism. I've now been initiated into the Persian level. I'm hoping if I mind my P's and Q's in the next couple of years and if I make substantial contributions or if I keep friends with the right people that I'll be Elevated up to the son bearer, or maybe even to the father rank. Every one of these promised, there are depths of the, the truths about the God Mithra that you aren't ready for yet, but if you do what we ask you and if you pay properly, then eventually we'll let you in to the next stage of the knowledge of this God it was a it was a mark of social prestige it was a mark of how successful you were to some extent whether which level you were initiated into we actually know people who bragged about their participation in some of these mysteries So what do you think it meant? Let's put our minds back into the minds of the Colossian Christians. What do you think it means when God says to these Colossian Christians, through the words of Paul, all the fullness of God has been made to rest in Jesus Christ. How much of what you need is being held back from you until you attain the next spiritual merit badge? How much of what you need to know about God is being withheld until you meet some human standard of achievement? Until you meet a certain level of wealth, make a certain level of number of contributions... Make friends with the people who are already in the club so you can get your way. How much of that is being withheld from you? Paul says the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. So if you have Jesus Christ, you have the deepest deeps of God. And then Paul just goes one further. Did you notice what he says in verse 10? the fullness of the deepest deeps of God have been made to reside in Jesus Christ and you have been filled with him. Okay, Jeremy already blew our minds once this morning, which you really did, by the way. That was freakadelic, I gotta say. Thank you for that. Uh, Freakadelic's a word, look it up um yep but once again paul's trying to blow our minds a little bit here because he says okay the deep things of god that's jesus the the image of the unseeable the invisible god that's jesus and now he says you follower of christ not because you deserve it not because you earned it not because you paid a sufficient amount of price or, or impressed a sufficient number of human beings to get this, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Christ now puts that fullness in you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that mind-blowing? When you give yourself to Christ, a way opens to the deepest depths of God. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's why he says, don't let anybody sneak up on you with philosophy or fine-sounding arguments that are actually based on these things that Jesus has already the master of. Nobody can come up to you and say, well, Jesus is great, but let me add to it You know this important doctrine of vegetarianism Jesus is fine but let me add to that this crucial doctrine of free market capitalism Jesus is great and all but let me add to that this this fundamental truth that you need every truth every power every authority according to this finds its proper place only under Jesus Christ and that's true for us, that's actually true for the world. Even the world that doesn't believe in Jesus, even the world that rejects Jesus sometimes, the things that people believe, I don't care if it's science or philosophy or history or any other subject you can imagine, the only proper way to understand that is with Jesus Christ as the head. Paul, I don't, know how, I don't know how his brain didn't just explode because he put so much into these different passages. And he says, this is it. The deepest depths of God are in Jesus, and Jesus has put those depths, that fullness, in you. And then he begins to draw some practical implications. If that fullness is in you because you have given yourself, trusted yourself, thrown yourself on the guidance of and the leadership of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean for you? Look at verse 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him. From the dead, you were circumcised, but not with that Jewish circumcision of the flesh. You were circumcised with this thing that Christians do called baptism. Circumcision for the law of Moses was the sign that you were in the covenant. It was really important in the first century. The Jews excluded the Gentiles because they were uncircumcised. And that carried all kinds of connotations. You're dirty, you're unclean, you're unfit, you're condemned. You're alienated from God. You are as far distant as you can be. The Colossian Christians, mostly drawn from Gentiles, looks like almost exclusively, in fact, And their dealings with Jews would have been governed by the law of circumcision. You can't come in. You can't draw near. You can at best keep arms distance from God. And as an uncircumcised Gentile, you can hope to have some scraps. Paul says, do you understand what happened to you when the church took you to the pool and buried you under that water and raised you up. Do you know what that means? He says, that's now the real circumcision to mark your covenant with God. That's the covenant that matters now. Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. He His parents had followed all the Jewish rules, and he said, that's not what I depend on. This baptism into Jesus Christ is what I depend on. Because I want Jesus in whom is the fullness of God the Father. The deepest depths of God are in him, and I want that, I'm connected to him. He says, you were buried When you were baptized. Literally kind of in our minds reminding us what it's like to be baptized. To be shoved under that water. We think in the olden days they used to shove you face first into it. Nowadays we kind of gently lay you backwards. But either way it looks like a burial. And that's on purpose. Because Christianity is not you're pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps getting some good advice from a wise teacher from the past and beginning to put that into practice in your life and gradually making your life a little better and a little better if you if you work at it the world has always been full of those kinds of stories and always will be full of those kinds of stories christianity's not that story Christianity says what you have done and what has been done to you has done so much damage that we have to kill you and start over. This is not making a New Year's resolution, trying to be better this year than last. Or a new month's resolution. Trying to, to get your act together at last. This is, the life that you've got needs to end. We need to bury it. We need to put it in the ground. And then, Paul says, and you were raised through faith in the powerful working of God that also raised Jesus. When Christians come up out of the water, it's pictured more than just here in Colossians. Same, Almost exact same imagery as used in Romans chapter 6. You are being given a new life. This is why in other passages like John, this is talked about as, the, as being born again. Your life is starting over. In that moment, when you are washed in the waters of baptism, you are buried, and a new person comes up out of the water. A new life begins in that moment. And that new life is characterized by what Paul has already said the fullness, the deep, the deepest deeps of God being given access to your life and you being given access to them. So if that's who I am now, if that's what has happened to me, I don't need to worry about someone coming up later and saying, well, I'm glad you know about Jesus. Let me help you with This doctrine you need to add to that, the doctrine of circumcision or the doctrine of this or that or the other thing. If you are connected to Jesus, you are connected to the deepest deeps of God right now. That doesn't mean you don't need to grow. It doesn't mean there's not stuff you need to learn. There there always will be. But right now, if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you are connected to the deepest deeps of God. And that's really good news. Paul then begins to say some of why that's really, really good news. Baptism in Christ kills the power of our old life and gives us a new way to live. And then he begins to kind of tick off the things that baptism does for us, this this baptism in Christ that we've experienced. Baptism in Christ, he says, kills the power of sin to keep us enslaved. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Baptism in Christ kills the power of sin to own us any longer. Sin is an enslaving power. It's not some bad habits you could get over if you just worked at it. It is an enslaving power. It was here making plans to make you a slave before you were ever born. (laughs) Layers upon layers upon layers of other human beings being enslaved by sin put chains on you from the time you're very young so that you are growing up enslaved to sin. Jesus Christ can break us free from that slavery. Jesus Christ says, you still have to live in the fallen world just like I did when I took on flesh. You still have to deal with fallen people in a world that is bent away from God in so many ways. That all has to happen. And the world may be hostile to you. To the extent that you begin to live this new life, the world may hate it because the world is bent away from God in so many ways. That does not matter. The world has lost its power. To intimidate you back into sin. You have been set free. Your trespasses. Your sins have been wiped out. And you are no longer bound. To be a slave. The good news just keeps coming. Look at verse 14. Baptism in Christ kills the power of sin to keep us enslaved. Baptism in Christ removes The unpayable debt of sin. Paul says, verse 14, this has all happened by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He is particularly thinking, I believe, about the law of Moses. And that written code that kind of listed out all the things that you've done wrong. But it is a general principle that this is what happens in baptism. All of the debt that you've accumulated, all of the wickedness that has scarred your soul and that you have participated in to scar other people, that debt is too big for you to ever be square with God again, to come back and to be reconciled with God. You stand as a condemned sinner under that debt. And miracle of miracles, grace upon grace, that debt has been paid. It's been wiped out. That's what Paul says. How many of you know to the nearest dollar how much debt you have right now? I'm impressed because I could not tell you. I I could tell you to the nearest—I don't know—but not not to the nearest dollar. But it's more than I want. I'll tell you that. And I would take it as a wonderful gift if someone waved a magic wand or uh, opened a magic checkbook and wiped out my debt. And that's just money. That's just money. Paul says, here's what's happened in Jesus Christ to you, Colossian Christians. Here's what's happened in Jesus Christ to you, Wilshire Christians. The debts of sin that you don't, it's pain for you, for you to even remember how bad those are. Jesus Christ has paid that debt for you. Now, you still may get those whispers in your head that come to you when you're tired, when you're depressed, when you're run down, that say, you're not, you're not really pleasing to God. God's not really pleased with you. You're not really reconciled to God. God, God, God doesn't want you because of what you did. Let's remember this one and because and, and, and what you said, let's remember that one and And because for the way that you acted, let's remember this other one. You may get that whispering in your ears. But that's a lie. Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God. He has wiped out the debts you owe. The good news keeps coming. Look at verse 15. What happened when Jesus died on the cross is this He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. In the world of the Colossians, the rulers and authorities included all kinds of things, both visible and invisible. The rulers and authorities included any spiritual powers that someone tries to scare you with or spiritual secrets that someone says, if you'll just join our group, we'll share those secrets with you. They also included just the overt powers of the government and of the economy and of the slave system and all of the other things that were oppressive to different members of this congregation. Paul says, Jesus Christ held up to public defeat all the powers and authorities that try to stand against what he wants to do. Held them up to public defeat by triumphing over them in his cross, by overcoming them, by dying on the cross, Theologians have wondered and wondered how did that happen and how does that work, and we could spend a whole other sermon trying to parse some of that out. We don't need to do that right now. Just understand this: Let nobody come to you with talk of spiritual powers or authorities that separates you from Christ. That's not possible. And let nobody come to you with talk of temporal powers and authorities, the government, the economy, social pressure, political climate. Don't let anybody come to you and say, well, these powers are just so great. We're going to have to ease up on our relationship to Christ to deal with these powers. Don't let anybody tell you that. It is also a lie. Jesus Christ... We've already learned in chapter 1, Paul's making use of here in chapter 2, Jesus Christ is head over all those authorities. I understand that people, without thinking about Jesus Christ, can go in a lot of crazy directions and tell you you have to go with them or else. No power, no authority, no claim of dominion whatsoever can be allowed to separate you from your trust in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, you already know, even if you can't figure out how, you already know that every power, every authority, every movement, every spiritual power, every physical power, all of those things only are going to end up making sense and are only legitimate to the extent that they are brought under the headship of Jesus Christ. You already know that, Christians. Paul says to the Colossians, you already know that. He wants them to learn more. He wants us to learn more. He wants them to grow more. He wants us to grow more. But he says right now, not because of who you are, but because of what Jesus Christ accomplished by dying on the cross, right now you know that the fullness of God gives you power over all all of those powers and authorities so that they will not stand between you and God. Christians right here today, why does that matter for us at Wilshire? Why does that matter? It matters because we sometimes let the powers and authorities sneak into our minds to stop us from yielding to Jesus Christ. I'm talking about just in our own lives. We let spiritual powers, temptations, we let physical powers, intimidation, peer pressure, whatever you want to call it, sneak into our lives and say, nope. I know that you feel Jesus wants you to grow like this. I know you feel Jesus wants you to say this. I know you feel Jesus wants you to do these things, but you can't right now because you're in the grip of these powers. This sin has you, this temptation has you, this weakness has you, this uh, social situation binds you. You're not bound, Christians. If you want to move ahead to let Jesus Christ take over more of your life, No power can stop that. No power can stop it. Right here today, right now, I want you to think about what's holding you back from following Jesus Christ. Right here today, right now, I want you to think about whatever is claiming authority over your life to say nope. You can't develop further in Christ. You're stuck right here. And I want you to confess the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord over that power. And it does not bind you. Let's say a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you so much for the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God, right here, right now, today, if people feel that they are being held back from truly serving Jesus Christ and letting Jesus work in their lives as he wants to, God, please help each person to make the decision they need to make to claim their freedom and to open themselves to God's power, to your power. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.